Good morning, New Hope. It is good to see you. Everybody's looking bright and chirpy, seeing as we whooped the Welsh. It's all good last night. All good. Everybody's happy and contented, which is great. South Africans were especially happy. Australians, well, back to the drawing board, right? Just before we start, I just want to give you some good news. We are moving church offices. And uh, the Lord has provided us a brilliant office space for a third. We already had a squeaky good deal, and we've got a squeaky, squeaky, squeaky good deal. It's a third of the price that we're paying before, and it includes power. Praise God, which has an implication, which is great. We're going to get to, uh, a team together, and we're going to shift some of our stuff from our existing office into the other office. So there's one side of it. So if you have got muscles, Martin, you excuse this once, all right? But if you've got muscles, we'd love to see you just to help us move some stuff from our one office to the other. And if you've got IT ability, um, especially networking and crimping and cabling and stuff like that, we also need you as well, which would be great. So if you can help on that and you'd like to help us and join the game that's doing that, can you just write that communication card that Martin spoke about? Office. And we'll get in touch with you and work at a convenient time. I would really appreciate that. It would be fantastic. Well, if you're visiting for the first time again, welcome. Please take out your outlines. And I want to begin with a review of what we've been doing for the last few weeks on what is the peace plan. The peace plan is you've got out... Next slide. It'll be all good. There we go. Here we go. That's better. Not all the networking. Although that's part of it too. The peace plan. Let's read this together. The peace plan is ordinary people empowered by God making a difference together wherever they are. And again, I want to draw your attention to the four phrases so we're clear, ordinary people. We're not talking about super saints or the paid professionals. We're talking about normal people like you and I, empowered by God because God always empowers you to do what he's called you to do. He doesn't call you to do something and then not give you the power. Thirdly, making a difference together. Christianity is... Based around, it is better together. And it's ideally um, positioned for small groups. Because that's like you just seen here. These basically 12 people are doing life together. As in the other small groups and wherever they are. And there are three quick dimensions that we talked about over the last few weeks. There's personal, personal peace. That's your personal ministry to the people that are in your life. You know who they are. Those people that you're going to see at work tomorrow. Because your ministry is actually in the marketplace. So personal peace in your life. Then local peace. What your small group's ministry can do in your area. And that may be very different from Martin and Michelle's group than it could be to um, one of the other small groups who's doing this. So small group's ministry. And then global. What our church's ministry is to the entire world. What part do we play in that? And the reason why we've got this peace plan is because these five global giants that we looked at. The first global giant was spiritual emptiness. Spiritual emptiness. And that is the very root of all the other problems. And the church's solution is to plant churches that promote reconciliation this way and this way. Secondly, the the second spiritual giant there is egocentric leaders. It was all about them. You may have got some of those in your work. I know I hear talking through the traps. Some of you have got some very difficult bosses where it's all about them. 
And it's the same in, in, in politics. It's the same in leadership in many places. People are basically just feathered in their own nest and tough luck, all the followers. But the church's response is just like Jesus. He said, you want to be greatest? He said, you need to become a servant of all. So to equip servant leaders, big difference. And then also, there is great poverty in this world. We talked about the numbers, and I want to talk to you to death with um, the stats on that one. But our job, as we talked about last week, is not to underwrite the poor. There's not enough money in the world to do all that. But we need to assist the poor. And we talked last week about the importance of trade, not aid. We went through all of that last week. Now, the next one is about, in the world, there are many pandemic diseases, many people. And today we're going to talk about caring for the sick, and we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about that. And then lastly, because corrupt leaders take all the money for themselves, one of the greatest things which gets hit is education. And if they're not educated, they can't get themselves out of the debt. So it's a sort of self-fulfilling cycle. And so our job will be to look at how to educate the next generation, specifically not only skills, but also about the kingdom of God. So today I want to focus back on the fourth aspect of this, which is assisting the poor. Caring, excuse me, um, caring for the sick. So here's a quick question. I didn't put this in your outline, but you may just want to jot a few of these thoughts down. A couple of causes of sickness from the Bible. And we'll just touch on this very briefly. The first one is stress. We live in a very busy, frenetic world. It's not, it's not up on the screen, so just write it down. One of the causes of sickness can cause is stress. If you are so stressed, you know what I'm saying? Your nerves are jangling and you just don't know which way to go and there's so much on and you run down and you haven't got enough time to eat properly, prepare dinner properly, exercise properly, rest properly. Guess what happens to your immune system? Runs down and you can end up getting sick. Absolutely. In fact, there's some very good research that links cancer to stress. Because your body's constantly fighting cancer cells with killer T cells. and I don't want to go into all that. But the point is, keep your immune system up top. And it can't be on top if it's stressed. We live in a fallen and broken world. Secondly, sin can cause sickness. Guilt and resentment can wreck your body. Talk to David about that one. Satan, and there's good examples there with Paul and Job. And very quickly as well, self. You can make yourself sick. But not looking after yourself. Putting yourself in ridiculously compromising situations. Now, I just briefly mention them because more important than the reasons for sickness is your response to illness and sickness. Now, the world offers five possible attitudes to illness. Check it out. Five. This is the world. What they do. Five attitudes. First one is Hinduism. And they come, the Hindus come along and they say, all that sickness is just an illusion. Doesn't really, you're not really sick at all. It's just in your mind. It's unreal. In fact, there's another weird branch of thinking called Christian science, which is neither Christian nor science. It's a cult of the highest order. Christian science has nothing to do with Christianity and nothing to do with science. It's a cult. They have this idea. that all the, and the, They're in denial and they play these kind of mental games. That's how Hinduism works. The second response or attitude to, um, to, to sickness 
is seen in Buddhism. And Buddhism, basically, well, they're indifferent. You know, try not to feel it. Just forget about it. And that's no comfort at all, you know. Don't let it bother you. In fact, I was, it, it's all to do with this, you know, karma. Well, you're sick because it's your own fault anyway. It's all your fault. In fact, I once saw Larry King interviewing the Dalai Lama about a disaster. And um, he asked him, what do you think? Uh, what do you say to disaster victims? You know what he said? I couldn't believe it. I fell off the couch. What do you say to disaster victims? Talking to the Dalai Lama. He said, nothing. Tough luck. Tough luck. It's your own karma. That is how Buddhism tries to deal with that. Now, Islam is another major worldview of thinking. And what their view of sickness is, resignation and, ah, it's all the will of Allah. Case sarah, sarah. Whatever will be, will be. It's fatalism. I'll just give up. Accept it as your lot in life. Don't fight it. Don't try to improve it. It's the will of Allah. Fatalism. Then there's one other one which we often see in America, and to some degree in New Zealand, and it's called Stoicism, which means basically grit and bear it. The American action hero, you know, Clint Eastwood, you know, just with your arm blown off, just carry on, bite the bullet, and keep on shooting. Or the big boys don't cry. Or the British version is keep a stiff upper lip. That's their version. Now, we've seen all those approaches, but what is the Christian approach to illness and sickness and suffering? The Christian approach to pain and suffering is compassion and care and concern. That's a Christian approach. Jesus did not say, well, you're not really sick, it's all an illusion. He never said that. Jesus did not say, well, sorry, but it's your fault. Jesus did not say, well, it's just God's will for your life. You know, don't even bother to try and get healthy. He certainly didn't say, well, buck up, buddy. Quit belly aching." No, he had compassion. The Bible says here, Jesus had compassion on them and he healed their sick. The point is, his attitude was compassion, not indifference, not stoicism. And if we're to become like Jesus, we must develop this heart of compassion for the sick. Now, this issue of illness is a stark reality this morning for millions of people who are dying needlessly from preventable diseases, which is just stupid. Should not happen. If we can prevent it, stupid. Over a million people die from hep B. 1.5 million die from TB. 1.4 will die from malaria. 3,000 children die a day from mozzie bites. Loaded with parasites. 1.2 will die from HIV AIDS. And again, don't go down that track, oh, it's just a gay disease. It is not. More women and children die from AIDS than gays. So have some compassion. So friends, with numbers like this, we cannot just sit around and go, wah, yawn, procrastinate. We must do something about it. Now, 
I have a question for you to start to get our minds focused. How many of you have ever stayed overnight in one of those? Can I see your hands, please? Wow. I am amazed. I did not expect for 20%. So you know what it feels. How many of you stayed in bed at home more than three days for any reason? Okay. Quite a lot of you. Now, if you were dying and you were sitting in that bed right there, I want you to imagine yourself in that bed with a disease. How would you want people to treat you? Because you know, one day, odds on, you could be there. Could be. If Jesus doesn't come back. Seven quick keys to caring for the sick, whether it's personal, somebody in your group, or globally. These principles, very simple, will apply. And you can do every one of these. Number one, the first key is thoughtfulness. You've got to pay attention. You have got to pay attention. Before you can care, you must be aware. Let me say that again. Before you care, you must be what? Get it? Good. Right, let's move on. You need to put up your antenna at work tomorrow. Start looking and listening to people around you. Because compassion starts with being aware and with consideration. And God is our model for this. Psalm 106 verse 44 says this. I love this. He, God, listened to their cries and he heeded their distress. He listened and he heeded. Another version says, he took notice of their distress. Question, do you take notice of the distress of those people around you? At uni? Even some of your customers, do you notice them? The factor is that all around you, people are struggling with illness. But you and I are sometimes so busy, we don't even notice But we must intentionally start observing and listening for clues to their pain. I'll tell you a good one. People under stress often do this. And who are sick and who are overwhelmed. They'll sigh. Listen. And they won't even know they're doing it. That is a clue something's not quite right. Listen up. Next, verse, Psalm 142, verse 4. The Bible says here, the psalmist, I look for someone to come and to help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. Some people feel like that, especially when they're low and often in their bed sick. Now, I wonder at your work, is anybody thinking that? Actually, the truth, are, the truth is, there's probably people in this room, in your block here, that are thinking that. They may be going through an illness or a pain or some suffering. And during this series, I want to just drag quickly back to a scripture that we've often referred to, very briefly. Because it talks about what Jesus is going to say at that judgment day. I want to look at the one on the screen before I go to the one on your, on your outline. The Bible says this in Matthew 25, 36. It says, Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, 
those of you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. Here's the point. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison, you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick? Or in prison and visit you? And the king will tell them, I assure you, whenever you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, the unimportant people. You were doing it to me. So on your outline, where Jesus says, I was sick and you cared. I want you to circle two words there. You cared. And I want you to notice something. Shocking for you Pentecostals. I am one of you. It does not say... I was sick and you healed me. Because you don't heal anybody, by the way. God does. It does not say, I was sick and you, all the pain went away and you made it perfect. It says, I was sick and you cared for me. Point. So what you will be evaluated on on earth is not, do you solve all the problems But do you serve the people? You will not be evaluated on whether you solved all the problems, but did you serve the people? Do you care? Number two. The second is presence. It means showing up. Second key. Caring for those who are sick. Show up. In fact, Psalm 38 verse 11 says this. Because of my sickness, no friends or neighbors will come near me. Some of you know that somebody close in our family died of AIDS. That was a very difficult situation. Years ago when you didn't even bring it up. Because of my sickness, no friends or neighbors will come near me. King David wrote that psalm as he verbalized the fact that most of us try to hide, and that's this. Most of us are uncomfortable around sick people. We try to avoid them. Why? Well, I can tell you on the personal example of HIV AIDS, people were scared witless that they could catch it. Another reason why. So people are afraid. People are too busy. The second reason. Well, if we help this person, that means I won't be able to check some more things off my to-do list to get on with my plan. But can I humbly tell you, God has not put you on this earth to get on with your plan. 
He's put you here to get on with his plan. If you're for his kingdom, he calls the shots. He's got the right to redirect and interrupt your life any which way he wants. That's his choice. Third reason why people avoid sick people is they don't know what to say. Especially if somebody's dying on that hospital bed. Now, I want you to notice something here. One of my heroes, tough guy. I, I don't know, I like tough guys. Who's smart. Paul, the apostle. Very smart guy. He was going down the long way for a long time until God rescued him. But I want you to notice here in the New Testament, he said something which was striking to me. He said, I needed other people in my troubles. Now, if I ask you to call, quote Philippians 4.13, what, what, what does it say? I can do all things through who? What's the rest of the verse? The rest of the verse, notice, says this. Nevertheless, even though I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, nevertheless, it was kind of you to share in my troubles. Wow! How often do you quote that? This hero, this guy who'd been beaten and flogged and shipwrecked, left for dead, imprisoned. He says this, By God's help I made it through, but thank you so much. Nevertheless, I needed you too. I needed God, but I needed you, my friend, my friends. Thank you for sharing in my trouble. And that's not really so odd because God made us to need each other. In Isaiah 63, 9, he shows us how he understands that we have this need for him and others, vertical and horizontal. He says, in all of their troubles, he was troubled. This is God, too. He didn't send somebody else to help them. He did it himself in person. He showed up. Interesting. And what does that mean? Well, God sent his presence. You see, I was sick inside. I was sick with sin. I needed him, so he showed up in my life. He didn't send a messenger. He came himself because I was sick. Now, that's exactly what God asks us to do for each other, that we show up for each other, that we give our presence as a gift to each other in our need. And when you think about the people who have meant the most in your life and your times of struggle and, and brokenness, it probably wasn't those who were probably well-meaning but had some ridiculously trite words. And they probably were well-meaning, but they quoted some ridiculously out-of-context Bible verses when you weren't even ready for them as well. Probably the people who meet most are those who just sat with you and showed up and paid attention. You know what? Anybody can do those first two. Anybody. Third key in helping people through sickness is acceptance. Remove the embarrassment. Acceptance in this context means removing the embarrassment. First Corinthians 15.43. Oh boy, what a verse. These bodies we have now embarrass us. Anybody want to give a testimony? <laughs> Why? 
He says, because they become sick. And they die. In other words, we get old. <laughs> we'll be, but, and this is the good news, they will be full of glory when we come back to life again. In other words, in heaven, you're going to get a new body in the same physical likeness as the one you've got now. It's another rabbit trail. Yes, we are weak now, our dying bodies now, but when we live again, they will be of full of strength. I like that. Now, has anybody noticed here that our bodies do wear out? Huh? Anybody notice that? Yeah. They don't work as well as they used to. You know that when you're getting old, when you try to straighten out the wrinkles in your socks and realize you're actually not wearing any. It's just your feet. <laughs> or when your back goes out, but you stay home. <laughs> you realize you're old when you and your teeth don't sleep together anymore. <laughs> You realize you're old when you wake up and you actually look like your driver's license picture. <laughs> you realize you're old when your idea of a happy hour is a nap. <laughs> you realize you're old when the idea of weightlifting is just standing up. <laughs> you realize you're old when it takes, not looking anybody here, two or three tries to get off the couch. <laughs> you realize you're old when your address book mainly um, contains people under the D section, doctors. <laughs> or the pharmacist has become your new best friend. <laughs> you really know you're old when getting lucky means you found your car in the parking lot. <laughs> you know you're getting old when everything hurts, and what doesn't hurt doesn't work. <laughs> and I thought about you here, Grant. I thought, you know you're getting old. When you sink your teeth into this steak, and they stay there. <laughs> I want you to write something on your outline. It is not a sin to be sick. It is not a sin to be sick. It's part of being human after the fall. And there's no shame in physical illness. There's no shame in mental illness. And there's no shame in emotional illness. I've had all three. And so have you, if you think about it. Confession is good for the soul. Let me ask you a couple of questions. How many of you at one stage in your life have thought, I think I'm losing my mind? <laughs> all right. Welcome to the human race. How many of you as parents have had the fear I'm going to do something serious to my child. <laughs> yeah. The Bible says we are like jars of clay. And clay pots break. You drop them and they break. And we're all a little cracked. Point, nobody has it all together. Nobody. Not all in, not, not altogether mentally, not altogether emotionally, certainly not altogether physically. So the Bible says there is no shame in this. It is not a sin to be sick. So why do we hide our illnesses? Why do we hide from others our illnesses? Because of this word called vulnerability. We don't like to be vulnerable. We don't like other people. We sometimes don't even want to see other people who are vulnerable. It makes us uncomfortable. And so we run from it and hide from it. Now Psalm 32 talks to this. Psalm 32 says this, Hiding... Your hurt only intensifies it. It says here, when I kept 
things to myself, I felt weak deep inside me and I moaned all day long. Now from the beginning of New Hope, we wanted this to be a place of acceptance. And one of the areas on my heart that we want to destigmatize is the area of mental health. Mental health. Many churches are silent on this issue due to ignorance or ridiculously bad exegesis. Understanding what the Bible has to say about it. And ignorance leads to fear. Now, how does God want us to respond to people who are physically ill, emotionally ill, or mentally ill? The same way the church in Galatia accepted Paul's illness. This is the great apostle of faith who God used to heal many people. This is what happened. They accepted him with compassion. Here it is, Galatians 4. Even through, excuse me, even though my illness was a trial to you. Now, when you're working with somebody who's ill, it can be a burden sometimes. You did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I was Jesus Christ himself. Now, that's what we want to do. We want to remove the embarrassment and include them and accept them. Which leads us to the fourth key for caring for the sick, which is affirmation. Give them support. People can handle anything in life if they have encouragement and support. Proverbs 18.14 says this, Your will to live can sustain you when you are sick. But if you lose it, your hope's gone. In other words, you need hope to cope. One of the ways the Bible says we can support each other and encourage another is in Proverbs 15.4. This verse here, kind words are good medicine. Move on quickly. Fifth. The fifth ingredient for caring for the sick, and you can do this. You can do this one too. Use the best medicine available. Heard about a pastor who was stuck in some floods in Florida. And the, and the water was coming up, and the first boat came past, and they said, hey, hop on. He said, no, no, I'm trusting the Lord to save me. Man's coming to the you know, windows, and next boat, hey, hop on, mate. It's getting deep. No, oh, I'm trusting the Lord to save me. Next one, it's getting up to the roof, and the pastor's on the roof. The pastor, behind you, is on the roof. And the helicopter says, hey, get on the ladder. We'll take you and we'll save you. He said, no, I'm trusting the Lord to save you. And then he drowned. So he gets to heaven and he's really ticked off. And he says, Lord, I was trusting you to help me. And Jesus said, what did you want? I sent two boats in the helicopter. (laughs) Presumption is when we ignore what God has provided. Presumption, very dangerous. Now, medicine is God's gift to us, and you use it without shame or hesitance. And there are many examples. We can't go into it all today. You can chase it yourself. You study to show yourselves approved. Look into this further. Many of you have never seen this, but there are many examples in the Bible of using meds that you've got. Here's a good one. In the parable of the Good Samaritan. Did you know that? In the parable of the Good Samaritan. He went to him. And bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then put the man in his donkey, took him into an inn, and took care of him. Now, the first time I read that, I thought, he's put on 
oil and wine. That's like a salad dressing. <laughs> but actually, the alcohol is to disinfect. And the oil is, is, is like a salve. It's to soothe. It's a soothing lotion. Proverbs 31.6. Now, this is, uh, this is not for you, Martin. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing. <laughs> it's saying here, pain relief is legitimate compassion for the dying. Don't be a martyr. No need to. Pain, legit, uh, pain relief is legitimate. There's no morphine in those days for the dying. So the guy, you know, God says, if the guy's dying, if he's on the battlefield and he's dying and he's always got some terminal illness and you don't need painkillers, give him some strong drink. And by the way, just for the record, that's the only time in the scriptures it says that. I don't want that being misinterpreted. <laughs> the only time. He's just saying, be kind to the people when they're dying and help relieve their pain. Now, part of the peace plan is to mobilize and work alongside churches and network of churches throughout the world to, distri- to distribute simple med packs to places that don't have a hospital, don't have a pharmacy or doctor. For example, this clinic in a box. For about 400 bucks, buys us about $3,000 worth of the most needed medicine in the locales where it's distributed. Slightly different customization depending upon which country. For example, it provides deworming meds for kids with parasites. You know what? You can give kids lots of food, but they've got little blighters inside them eating up all the food. It doesn't help their bodies get nourished. So you've got to knock off the worms first. Things like rehydration meds. For kids with diarrhea and dysentery, stops them losing critical fluids. This thing contains antibiotics for infections and anti-malarial stuff. And even AIDS meds and vitamins. So, the contents again vary depending upon the needs of that location. But, we use the best medicine available. And if you are interested, at some stage in the future, within the next year to go on a medical missions trip and help hand out some of these things and help be on the distribution of that, I want you to write medical missions on your communication card where you can do, I was sick and you kid, you can literally do that. I know I've been to places where we go to Walmart, we buy 50-cent reading glasses. You know what I mean? Like those little, little thin, I'm not sure how much it costs here. But we had about 10,000 of them. And you should see the incredible gratefulness of some of these people, especially for some of the ladies who like to do needlework, who can't do it anymore. For 50 cents, you can help them lift up the economic wealth in their family again for 50 and you can be part of that as well but if you're interested in that write it on your communication card and we'll get back to you with some more information the sixth ingredient for caring for the sick is prevention you can do this teach healthy habits prevention is part of caring for the sick and the way that you do that is that you teach healthy habits Now, every one of you in this room is qualified to do this. And much of the world doesn't even know that you can stay a lot healthier by doing one simple thing. Washing your hands. 
and how to do it properly. You could teach somebody to do that, to wash their hands and save lives. People are dying because of a lack of knowledge. I think I've read that somewhere else. Things like boiling water saves lives. Things like sleeping under a mosquito net will prevent malaria. And by the way, just to fill you in on that one, no time to go into this now, but before you go on a trip like this, you'll get lots of training through some of our sister churches. So the best way to improve your health, by the way, is to follow God's instructions for life. It'll prevent a lot of unnecessary problems. We found this particularly in parts of Rwanda. Proverbs 4.21 says this, Don't ever forget my words. They're the key to life, and they bring health to the whole body. Exodus 15.26 says, If you obey all my commands and keep my rules, I will not bring on you any of the sicknesses I brought on the Egyptians. The Bible can keep you healthy if you do what it says. It can prevent a lot of unnecessary pain and a lot of unnecessary suffering. Seventh and finally, the final ingredient is pray and ask God to heal them. All healing comes from God, no matter who he uses. He can use doctors, he can use medicine, he can do a miracle. God heals many people in different ways. I've seen miracles and I've seen medicine do wonders. Look at these few verses. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of the righteous person has great power and wonderful results. Now notice the Bible says, as Martin said four or five times today, every member is a minister. Every believer is a minister. And in James 5.14, one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit is oil. And he says, if you're sick, call for the church leaders, have them pray for you, and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's nothing magical about the oil. This is a symbol of God's presence. And today, we're going to provide the opportunity for you after this service, and a prayer team down the back where Mandy's standing right there, to pray for you. Now, the peace plan encourages us that ordinary people, can make a difference. And today we talked about helping sick people. And you can do this. There's not one of you here, sitting here, that can't do this. Seven things. Can you pay attention? Of course you can. Can you show up? Can you relieve the embarrassment, not make them feel bad about it? Can you give them some words of encouragement and hope? Can you help them get the right medicine? You can teach them healthy habits and you can ask God to heal them. All of those. Anybody can do that. Why are we doing the peace plan? Because there'll never be enough doctors in this world to care for all of the health needs. It's going to be ordinary people like you and me. You see, God is giving his ministry back to his people. And here's the, 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 the nub of the question. Will you? Will you do anything about this and the sick people in your life? Or today will you walk out of here and go, yeah, nice message. The truth is there's sick people all around you, in your family, your own family, your relatives, people at work. Last verse. This is what I've been praying for you this week. 3 John 1, 2. I am praying that all is well with you and that your body is as healthy as your soul is. 
point. God is as interested in your body and your soul, both. And I got to thinking, actually, after I read it through once and then read it through twice and three times, I got to thinking and thought that some of you might not want me to pray that prayer for you. For example, if God answered that prayer and you were as healthy physically as you are spiritually, how healthy would you be? Dead? <laughs> In bed with a terminal illness? Weak? Where on that continuum are you? Getting better? Strong? Active? Engaged? In the game? Spectator? God says, I want you to be healthy in both areas. Closing with two challenges. Those of you who are new to New Hope. You're new around here. I don't mean to shock you, but we are all terminally ill. The Bible called Jesus the great physician. He is a cure to all of the ailments that show up in your life. Things like guilt and worry and depression and fear and bitterness and boredom and loneliness, and here's a big one, purposelessness. He's an antidote to all of that. And you may look at all sorts of different other solutions to your pain, but it will never ultimately satisfy. You need Jesus Christ in your heart. Because ultimately, we all have an incurable disease called sin. And the only antidote is the grace of God. My question to you who are new around here is, have you accepted the grace of God? Those of you who've been around New Hope for a while, God is saying this to you. Actually, he's commanding you. I was sick, and you cared for me. He commands you to care. Have you done any of these things for somebody else? Or are you too busy? See, Jesus cared always about the underdog, the powerless, the poor, the prisoner, the homeless, the hurting, the sick the orphans, the widow, the aged. And most of our culture wants to ignore the marginalized. Please don't let that be said of you. I was sick and you cared for me. Let's bow our heads. Would you pray this in your mind? Would you be honest enough to say that, God, I have to admit that caring for sick people hasn't been exactly on the top of my agenda. I have to admit that I've been both afraid and judgmental of people with illnesses like AIDS or mental illnesses or even cancer. I ask you to forgive me. I want to learn to treat people the way that you do with compassion. Father, would you show me how to make a difference in my world? Alert my mind and senses by paying attention to those around me who are sick or suffering. Help me to show up in people's lives and to remove the embarrassment from whatever's going on. Help me this week to give people support and hope. Please use our church as it goes into the marketplace tomorrow, locally, as small groups, 
and ultimately as we go into the world with medicines and training around the world. Lord, we ask you that you'd also heal people who ask for it. And for those who will be praying in just a minute with the people in the church, we ask that you'd hear their prayers in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.